0: Welcome to another edition of the Find Your Calling podcast. I'm Todd Wilson, the host, and today I am thrilled to have Brad Lominick with me. Brad has just a great journey of calling, and he worked on a ranch for a number of years after college. He's been in consulting, worked at, at Life at Work, led the Catalyst organization for years, and now is in an entrepreneurial role where he started his own organization. He strategic advises other leaders in their organizations. So welcome, Brad.
1: Todd, I'm so pumped to be here, man.
0: Well, I have really been looking forward to this, Brad. Let's jump in and talk about calling. If you would, Brad, just give us an overview of your journey.
1: Yeah, well, you mentioned it. I graduated from University of Oklahoma. I went to school at OU and was a history major. And then I went and worked on a ranch in Colorado for five years. And that was incredible season of my 20s. I left there and went and worked with an organization called Life at Work. And we did consulting. We did a magazine. We tried to hang out at the intersection of faith and work and write and consult and speak and teach around that whole conversation. And out of that, one of our clients was an organization called Enjoy, which many people will recognize as John Maxwell's organization. So I got involved consulting with John and his organization back in like the late 90s. At the time, many brands were being started by John, including something called Catalyst. And I was an outside consultant that was hired to help sort of build a plan for Catalyst to expand, even in its early days before it even started. Out of that, the classic case of the consultant becoming part of the team joined up full-time, and then once Gabe Lyons, who now runs Q, when he stepped out to run Q, I sort of stepped in. That was around 2003, 2004. And so for 10, almost 11 years, I was the leader of Catalyst and then handed off a couple of years ago to Tyler Reagan, and now I'm getting to freelance and be involved in a number of different initiatives and do some more consulting and speaking and writing and so i get to i get to sort of play what i would call a rover in the kingdom you know a lot about that too like just that sense that you're connected to a lot of people now and you're able to help not only organizations navigate through things but also just be part of watching really cool projects emerge and and get to have a seat at the table of conversations that are encouraging and aspiring and hopefully, like, making a difference.
0: Well, Brad, there's not, like, a universally accepted definition of calling. How would you describe calling?
1: I've got one angle, which is it's that sense of three things, identity and then purpose and then assignment. Let me unpack that in a second. But the very simple, for me, sort of elementary version of calling is strengths and passion. And where your strengths intersect with your passion, that's where the true essence of calling comes alive. And you talk about this, the sweet spot and the idea of what is that intersection where those come alive, and I think that's true. Like the, the place where the way God's wired you, so that's your strengths. If you're good at math, that's a strength. Where that intersects with your passion, which is the things that make you cry or keep you up at night, where those things come together, I think that's where you find it. And then as followers of Jesus, it's undergirded, by a kingdom story and a purpose that is given to you that connects to this greater sense of we're part of the church we're part of the kingdom of god where there's that element has now come into play in our lives so the foundation is the kingdom story and then the, the real practical side is strengths and passions i think that's the way to look at it that intersection point
0: how would you articulate your personal calling
1: Well, the working phrase I've had since I was in college is influence the influencers. And that's not just mine. I mean, a lot of other people have had that sort of phrase on their life and it doesn't, you know, trademark me, but I think that's always what I've felt. That's always what I've been drawn to. I mean, ever since I was a kid, I think I was drawn to, to try to connect and inspire, gather, equip, motivate aggregate curate you know all those verbs around influencers and i've had five basic seasons of assignment so far that really reflect my calling and all of those seasons have in hindsight looking at them i can see a real steady connection point of i'm influencing influencers and and that's not an arrogant statement it's not that i only want to hang around leaders or influencers but i really do have a sense of my life that that's who I'm supposed to be connected to, and also who I'm supposed to be impacting. And that's my civil phrase that I'm trying to live by.
0: I'm assuming at each of these transitions from consulting to life at work, there's someone that recognized that strength and passion in that influence area, and then John Maxwell recognized it in the transition to Catalyst. So tell us at the transition points for you from the ranch to consulting to life at work to Catalyst, how the storyline going on in your life and the people you were intersected with affirmed and saw in you that aspect of being able to influence the influencers.
1: Yeah, and there has been. That's a great point. There's been people who who have encouraged me around that as well as brought it out of me. So when I worked at Lost Valley Ranch in the summer during college, the owner, the founder, Bob Foster, who is patriarch of the faith, you know, Friends with guys like Billy Graham and and others who are all sort of now look back and they influenced a generation. He saw it in me and he said, "Hey, I want you to come back and I want you to be part of our leadership team here at Lost Valley." And I'm like, "I don't I don't know anything about ranching," but he saw in me the ability to connect as an example to to connect on horseback with CEOs who were bringing their families to this. Western ranch vacation experience. And I never would have thought that as a 21-year-old knucklehead. You know, I I wasn't thinking, wow, I have the ability to, for an hour and a half, to be able to have a great conversation with the, the CEO of, of Arthur Anderson or the CEO of this other company. But that was truly, for me, a gift mix. And it was this thing that I was really passionate and good at. The same would be true when I left Lost Valley. I met Steve Graves and Tom Addington, who were running a consulting firm, and they said, hey, you know, you might be great to come work with us. And I thought, well, I don't know anything about management consulting. I don't know anything about helping organizations navigate change. And they said, we see in you the ability to have an impact on high-level, A-type leaders. And even though you're 25 and just worked for five years on a ranch in Colorado, be it in you and so people called it out of me but every season and the thing that i always have seen in my seasons of life seasons of assignment is that i was never ready for the next one i, I never like stepped out off the diving board and thought you know what i've practiced this dive so many times that i know i'm gonna nail it i stepped out the diving board going oh my gosh like i'm not even sure there's water in this pool i may just hmm. dive into concrete You know, like the young leader or any leader at any level when it comes to your calling, many times the best place to be is in a place where you're looking at the next season going, oh, my gosh, that scares me to death. And i felt that at every season. But I think that's a good place to be. I think it, as long as you're in your stream, as long as you're in your lane and you're building on the bedrock of understanding your calling, because if not, here's what you end up being is you end up being schizophrenic. You end up jumping from thing to thing. Looking for that place where you start to feel like there's a connection point compared to, and I know what I'm, I know what my foundation is. I may be scared about this next season, but I know it lines up with where I've been so far. And that's, that's a whole different storyline. And I think that's been for me what's really been helpful.
0: Well, Brad, you and I have a mutual friend in Bob Buford, the founder of Leadership Network in halftime. Bob says all the time that Everyone needs permission and encouragement and some accountability to live the life that God's called them to. And as I look at your journey, and there's a name at each section, there's someone who's encouraging you, kind of giving you that permission, giving you that encouragement, as you said, to move to something that's over your head. Fast forward to the last couple of years. You're at Catalyst. Many people would say... You know, It doesn't get much better than that in terms of influencing influencers. You've got this movement of young people, lots of connections. Tell us about the transition to go out on your own and entrepreneurially start an organization in strategic advising, and especially in this context of permission and encouragement and who is speaking into you and how you go from the comfort and security of Catalyst to being out on your own.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, two people... Not that these were the only two, but two stand out. One was Bob Goff, and Bob Goff said to me when I was writing my first book, The Catalyst Leader, I was actually out at his place in up the coast of British Columbia, and we were talking about his whole motto of Quit Thursday, (laughs) which, which is fascinating. You know, he basically says, "Hey, every Thursday, just try to quit something." And he was asking, he was pushing me like, "Why are you sticking around Catalyst? Like, I know you love it, I know you're leading it, I know it's awesome, but..." And he wasn't saying you need to leave. He was just, he was just saying, I'm giving you permission to think broader than that. And that was the first seed that was put in. A lot of other seeds were invested. And then Steve Cochran, who really helped me walk through a sabbatical and the pre, I would say the pre release of me walking away from Catalyst was my time with Steve Cochran in London. And he said, there's some things you need to be doing that only you can do. And that may mean that you open up a seat for other young leaders to step up and allow Catalyst to be what it is, which is it's led by the tribe. It's got the sense that young leaders are leading it. And, Brad, you have to realize that you're turning 40 and you're not young anymore. Also, that you end up like a prize fighter where you're in the 13th or 14th round of an assignment and you're still swinging, but you're not really in the game that was a reminder to me of, oh my gosh, like part of my job as a leader is to hand something off. Part of the job of leading something like Catalyst is that I have to get out of the way. Like I don't want this thing to become the the barrier of growth for catalyst should not be built around me being a barrier as a leader. And that was a hard stewardship thing to realize, but also I needed somebody to basically punch me in the face to remind me that part of my role as a leader Stewarding something is to hand it off and to get out of the way and let other people take it and make it better. But I wouldn't have probably stepped out of that. And, and we see this a lot with churches and with organizations, especially nonprofits, is somebody sticks around too long and everybody around them's going, hey, seriously, would you get out of the way? Because you you led this well for a while, but now you've outworn your welcome. And I don't want to be in that place. So that was huge for me of stepping out of, again, like you said, Todd, like, in our world, like Catalyst is a, is a pretty, pretty sexy thing. You know, to run Catalyst, you get invited to all the cool kids tables. Given my own reality of my own leadership, I'm not sure I would have ever given myself permission to walk away from it, but it took other people around me to speak into my life to say, Hey, you know what, Brad? Like there's more for you here. Like God has more for you. The next season will, will be broader and bigger. It may not be more people. But it will take your influence of the season you're in and actually multiply it. So,
0: Let me press just a little bit more into that. You're being given permission to step out and move on. At the point in time that you decided, I'm moving on, I'm going to hand Catalyst off, tell us about the clarity you had or didn't have at that point.
1: Yeah, I didn't, I didn't have clarity. I had clarity that it was that it was time to move out of that seat. But I did not have clarity on the seat I would be moving into. That was the part that was that was the hardest and the and the riskiest, to be honest, was what's next. Well, I don't know. I know this. Like the what's next will take care of itself, but the what's now needed to be dealt with. It sort of went against my own rules of engagement. You know, I'd always kind of thought that we don't move away from a season until we know what the next season looks like. For this decision of stepping away from Catalyst, I wasn't sure what the next season looked like. I just knew that that season was done and that I needed to hand the baton off and be able to say you know what you guys run with it and I'm here and I'm going to be the greatest fan and I'll I'll speak into it and I'll help and I'll advise and I'll do whatever I need to do to make sure it continues to be done well but I've done my part I want to bury Sanders it he walked away from the NFL earlier than he needed to I think leaders many times stay too long compared to Leaving too early, and I don't think I left too early. Uh, but what I did is I, I wanted to make sure that that catalyst was handed off at its peak, and that was really important to me because for me the the best expression of my legacy is built on does this thing continue to, to do well after I'm gone. Compared to most of us, we hand something off when it's in its demise. We we hand something off when we have to. We hand something off. When the board forces us out, we hand something off when everybody's going, seriously, get out of the way, finally. I just didn't want that to be the storyline of my leadership of Catalyst and my season of being a part of it. That would be the expression of it, and it was fairly easy, actually, to do it. It was fairly easy to make that decision because of the fact that my identity was clear and it was through the sabbatical thought, like, I had wrestled with killing Catalyst Brad. Steve Cochran and I had a, a moment, a ceremony in London on the side of the Thames River. And Steve was like, today we're killing Catalyst Brad. And I said, wait, I like Catalyst Brad. Like, I like him. He's a good guy, you know. Like, he, he, he gets to hang out with fun people. And so I walked through that. And now I can be the greatest fan without ever feeling that sense of bitterness or that sense of, like, this happens way too often. We walk away from a season that we help build something. Like we built something and then we walk away from it. And then we spend a lot of our energy actually trying to destroy the thing we built. And, I mean, what a sad state to, as a leader, to feel like that all of a sudden now because you're not leading it, you don't want to see it be successful. And that happens way too often, especially for high-capacity leaders. And, you know, when you've been a part of something that has a lot of influence, then you you know, you watch it in the next season, it starts to lose its momentum and you think, Oh, well that makes me feel good because now they I can say, Oh, without me, see, look what happened. I just don't want to be that kind of leader. I want to be able to have identity that is built on way more than just catalyst Brad. Like, that's not my identity. My identity is way bigger and broader and more more secure than the the assignment I had as leading catalyst. And that goes back to calling, like if we start to think that our identity, and you write about this in your book, if identity is getting confused with the, the do and the go, then we're going to have a hard time like throughout our life because what happens when that season's done? Is our identity gone? For a lot of us, that's true. If that, that actually happens.
0: Your core essence of calling you've described as influencing influencers, which there is a doing part to that, but I'm assuming that's part of your identity, just this natural tendency across all domains of life to be an influencer. Yes, that's exactly right. So how far back, maybe not articulating exactly that way of influencing influencers, but maybe, how far back in your journey? Does it go all the way to college?
1: I saw it in in elementary school. I didn't articulate it then, but I definitely saw it when I look back. I remember the first days of first grade. I wanted to have influence on the teacher's and on the principal of our elementary school, and on the the leaders of the school, the the other students. And that was just a natural wiring for me. I mean, I was motivated to be able to connect and watch things happen where I was making a positive difference on the people around me who seemed to be in the places of greatest power. And, you know, again, at the time, I didn't know how to explain that or what that meant. You know, when I got to college, I was intentional and strategic about every sort of influential on-campus ministry and organization at the University of Oklahoma, I wanted to be friends with all the people who ran those. Now, for what reason? I didn't know what it meant. I didn't know... A lot of people would look at me and go, oh, you're just trying to be a brown noser. And it was never for me brown nosing. It was just I was motivated to, like, bring them sort of into into my circle and then connect them and watch things happen between them. And, you know, over the years of Catalyst, I did the same thing. Like, I... I was trying to be a bridge builder. I was always trying to, like, invite people to the event to hang out backstage and connect with each other. So this has just been my natural wiring for a long, long time.
0: I do think, Brad, your ability to boil your core essence down to influencing influencers, those of us that have been fortunate to get our hands around our calling and understand it maybe with more clarity, I think can boil down sort of into that core essence, which almost becomes like a compass or a, the north point on a compass it just guides how we move through things if you would in terms of your own learnings and advice to other people you've had the benefit all the way back to elementary school of having that kind of clarity i'm not sure the average person has that kind of clarity you know right. going back to elementary school but as you and i have both experienced in life planning the stories of our lives, the storyline is embedded in our life. Even if we don't recognize it at the time, we can look back and find it. For those people that are listening that might be captive or paralyzed to moving forward into some new season for a lack of clarity on their calling, for a lack of having that compass of core essence, what is your advice?
1: I mean, the first thing is, is don't make it so difficult. I think we tend to put so much pressure on, you know, what am I supposed to do with my life? Especially as Christians, we tend to, like, feel like we have to come up with this. Again, we're thinking assignment. We're thinking, like, job versus what we should be thinking a little bit higher level of what's sort of this maybe 10,000-foot phrase that we can think of compared to the 500-foot phrase because people would always say to me when I was a catalyst, like, well, how did you figure out that you would want to be doing catalyst? Like, could you go to school for that? How do I get to be a catalyst leader? Like, how do I become the leader of something like catalyst? I'm like, I don't know. There was some intentionality, but I wouldn't have been able to describe it when I was in college or in my early 20s. So that's the first thing is don't put so much pressure on yourself, especially when you're young, because the thing that always happens with calling is you learn and you start to see it over time. And many times, a lot of us don't even discover it until we're in our 30s, perhaps 40s. I think God would give us that freedom, and I think he does give us freedom in the sense that the boundaries and the borders of our calling are way wider than perhaps we think they are. And so that's the first thing. The second thing is what you said. Look back at your childhood. You'll find it in the places where you were being your true self. I think so often you will see the, the breadcrumbs of your calling In those corners and the shadows, the places of your life where you tend to actually not look. And, you know, again, for me, like elementary school, anytime I was as a child, like when I would walk into a room, it was, again, I didn't know it at the time. My mom worked in a bank in Bristow, Oklahoma, small town of 5,000. When I was five, six years old, Todd, I would walk in that bank and naturally want to like get to know the people who were hanging out there at the bank. Like, I'm walking up to strangers. I'm walking up to strangers and, you know, hey, how you doing? I'm Brad and my mom works here and what do you do? And they're like, well, this six year old is, man, he sure is aggressive. But that, that was just me. Like, I didn't know what it meant, but those embers were burning that sense of my calling in life. So when you look back on your childhood, I think you'll find it. Ask your friends and the people closest to you to help you. You know, that people see many times in you what you can't see in yourself. That's why, for me, like, the permission I got from people like Steve Graves and Bob Foster and John Maxwell and Kevin Small and Steve Cockrum and Gabe Lyons and Pete Richardson, you know, all these folks in my life who have, what they've done is they validated it in me. They said, I see it in you. Go do what you do well. I'm releasing you to go do it. Sometimes you have to ask for that, though. We forget to ask for it. You know, people will give it to us, but, man, ask for it. Like, ask people, hey, what do you see in me? What are the three or four things that you see consistently in me that you feel like are parts, again, their DNA, their intrinsic wiring that will give me evidence of what God's made me to do?
0: You know, the picture that comes to mind as you describe that, Brad, you can put a puzzle together without the picture of the puzzle If you didn't have the Mm -hmm. picture, you'd start with the corner pieces, the edge pieces, put all those together, group colors. You could put a puzzle together. And as you start describing the different people in your life, the different situations in your life, the story in your life, I think what I hear you saying is, don't wait to have the full picture. And that's what happens to us so often. We get paralyzed. Just start with what you've got. Start with the edge pieces. Find the corners. Take the stuff that you know to be true, that's being affirmed and said by other people and by the situations in your life, and just take steps forward. Am I getting that, that picture right?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, and, and I, I tell, I love to tell young leaders, especially those in their early 20s, who are, you know, they're asking the question, what am I supposed to do with my life? I'm in college. I, I declared a major. I'm not even sure if I like that major much less do I want to do this for the rest of my life and my advice to them is always you know your posture in your 20s should be first of all work on your who don't worry about your what your what will take care of itself but your who is is going to define you work on who way before you work on what the second the second thing is just say yes the best way to get to your greatest yes in terms of your sweet spot is to just keep saying yes you know lots of yeses will eventually move you to the ultimate yes. But sometimes we say no too often because we're trying to like we're trying to narrow our lane and especially in our younger years I think we should widen the lane.
0: If I think about parents with their kids, we don't focus as much on what you're calling the identity or what I call my book the B, we see yeah. what our kids do well and what they don't do well and if they're really athletic, we get them into sports, if they're good with science, we get them into science fairs. And then we send them off to college and say, Hey, spending a lot of money on you, figure out what you want to do and you need to get it right. We push them into the do and they go out, they get out of college and they're immediately into the position piece, as you called it, the where am I going to do this thing? And then we wonder why by the time people get in mid-career, they're having the midlife crisis, they've, they've skipped the identity piece, you know? Exactly right. Comes back to you later, so. Well, Brad, I want to really thank you for being with us today. Brad is author of a couple of books, The Catalyst Leader that he referred to, your most recent book, H3 Leadership, Humble, Hungry, and Hustle. Just tell us briefly about it.
1: Yeah, H3, Humble, Hungry, Hustle, Be be Humble, Stay Hungry, Always Hustle. So those are the big three buckets that really have defined my own leadership mantra for 25 years. Under those three buckets, I tried to lay out some habits that leaders can put in place to make those come to life. And really it was based on sort of this recent season for me of stepping away from Catalyst and, and having to reimagine and rediscover and I would say recalibrate my own leadership habits and what I feel like are the habits that are going to get me to the finish line of my life. So that's H3.
0: Which is available on Amazon. And then uh, if you want to hear yep. more from Brad, his b- a great ongoing blog, bradlaminick.com. That's is- it. Take a look at that. Well, thanks again for being with us, Brad.
1: I loved it, Todd. Thanks for doing this, and thanks for all you're doing for, for leaders to discover the calling, man. I appreciate it.
0: These interviews and the Be Do Go framework that I use are based on my book, More. You can learn more about the book, More, at www.more-book.com.